The Free For All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Jerry Agar in for John Moore. Joining me on the panel, News Talk 1010's Robert Turner. Amanda Galbraith, principal at Navigator, and she's the host of Free For All Fridays here on the station. And Toronto City Councillor Shelley Carroll. All right, so one of the stories in the news, of course, is the separation of the Prime Minister and his wife. And the prevailing opinion that I've heard over the almost 24 hours now is, hey, it's a private matter. Let's just leave it alone. Does anybody have anything different than that or do we move on? <laughs> I think they want us to move on. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, people have have uh, sort of accepted that divorce is a is a an everyday part of long term relationships. Uh, a lot of people have them, so I don't think it's going to create the sensation that that uh, his his mom and dad did so many years ago. Well, everyone I talked to yesterday about it had the same reaction. Okay. Oh, it's a personal thing. It's none of our business. But then they wanted to know more. Uh, like, I wonder what <laughs> happened. And I know we're not supposed to wonder what happened. And it's a personal matter. And we don't want to speculate. But everybody I talked to yesterday was speculating about what happened. Because that's what you do when a marriage breaks up. Okay, but I only, yeah. Yeah, Amanda, I only care, uh, and, and somebody would have to demonstrate this was the case, is if, if it became like a John Tory type thing, he had an inappropriate relationship with somebody who worked for him. Yeah, and I think that doesn't appear to be the case, at least at this moment. Um, so I think we'll probably move on unless another shoe drops. But I think it just looks like, you know, these are two people who struggle with this for quite a while. And they want to, she wants, I'm guessing they want to move on with their lives to a certain extent. So uh, they put it out and I think we'll move on by the weekend. Big def- yeah, big- well, time will tell whether he's able to move, move on and do the job too. Because I think at this point, he's expecting, okay, this is this, and then we'll move on. And But we'll see how that actually unfolds. I know everyone's saying he's still going to run again. But there's a difference between having a plan for how your life is going to move forward, especially when you're going through something like this, mm-hmm. and then the reality of it. So I, that, I, I think we could see changes there. And I think Amanda's right, unless more comes out. Thing is, I think there's going to be an appetite for more to come out. And you're going to have media outlets of um, varying levels of... Um, ethics uh, looking into it now, (laughs) so we'll see. Robert, it doesn't have to be some fringe outlet. You don't think investigative journalists are on this? Well, I think tabloid journalists are on this. I think pictures of the the couple that embraced being celebrities at one point, so now they kind of have to, that's the double-edged sword of it, um, are going to be looking for more on this story. And I think, you know, we... uh, Canadian media is going to cover this story. As you said, Jerry, if there's something that rises to, you know, okay, this is of public interest, we need to go with this, People Magazine's not going to care if it's of public interest. They're just going to worry about, are people interested in this? Okay. And that is a different thing. Yes, yes. The public interest and what the public's interested in are two different things. I'll I'll give you that. Um, All right, we are moving on. Dozens rallied to keep the streets open to cars in High Park. Um, City Councilor Shelley Carroll, why, where did this idea come from that we should close down the roads in High Park. Oh, this this goes back quite a while. Um, it, it's been studied for a number of years, but but where it goes back to is there was a growing battle between cars and cyclists and pedestrians, particularly on the weekends, because the park becomes so crowded at that point that uh, it's really not safe to to continue to have that road try and serve all the modes of transportation. So a couple of years of consultation were, uh, were carried out a few months ago when this went through council it was widely covered in the media i think we even talked about it on round one 
and uh, uh, we went through uh, what the the big neighborhood group came up with that we would uh, close certain streets on the weekend and uh, uh, there was a protest at that time but yesterday was the first day of it taking place and so it's sort of a, a last hurrah for that group you know, Amanda, the thing that makes my head figuratively explode when it comes to government is the phrase, a couple of years of consultation. <laughs> well, and but, you know, this group, interestingly, is saying we need more consultation. We need to talk to more people. Um, it always amazes me in Toronto. We like to act like we're the first people to do everything, like from drinking in parks to closing a major park to car traffic. Like New York City, Central Park, they closed to car traffic in 2018. It's two and a half times the size of Hyde Park, and yet I've been there. It's, it's remarkably accessible to all kinds of individuals, including families and people with disabilities. So I think, um, you know, we can all take a breath. And guess what? Like, the roads aren't being ripped up, so if this doesn't work, we can always undo it. But my guess is people are going to enjoy it. Can I still drink yeah. in Hyde Park? Is that allowed? Uh, what, where are the rules sit now with that? Honestly, I can't remember if it's one of the 27 parks. I don't think Hyde Park is one of the 27. <laughs> I, I think we have to get over the fact, though. I mean, Central Park, that's in New York, right? They have pretty good subways and things there. Uh, this will restrict access to Hyde Park from people in cars who are coming from areas of the city where that's really their only realistic option. Uh, and you're going to have to balance out the needs of the local community that wants to use the park and everybody using the park with other people who want to get there. See how it works. But I, I do understand why people might be concerned with, well, you know, what about us? All right, so there's a strike going on. Um, workers have struck Metro. Metro has closed 27 of their stores. And Robert, uh, Metro now has said, well, I mean, if you're not working and the stores are closed, then you don't uh, have access to benefits. Is that fair on the part of Metro? <laughs> might be fair. might not be the smartest PR move, you know, because grocery stores are so popular right now anyway. But, I mean, if you're withdrawing your services, you don't get compensated, do you? Well, that's how it seems to me, Shelley. Uh, yeah, that 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 generally is the way, but but it's not going to make a big ripple in the strike because the fact of the matter is one of the 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 matters at issue is that there are far too many part timers who don't receive benefits in this mix. Seventy two percent of the people who work here are part timers who probably get little or no benefits at all, and so I don't know that it's going to settle the strike anytime soon. And and you know, as Robert says, grocery stores are popular. Not only that, but the plight of these workers has turned out to be popular. Pretty much every TV station I've seen doing men in the street interviews with people who walked up to the front door of the store to discover it's closed, then turn around and say into a man in the street microphone, oh, yeah, I side with the workers. That sixteen fifty-five an hour seems insane. Okay, that's what I want is the opinion of the person who didn't even know the store was closed before they got there. <laughs> yeah. Amanda? But that, that's their immediate reaction. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's a tough it's a tough play for Metro, right? Like it's um probably the next way to try and escalate the strike so that they can get this thing resolved, right? They presented a deal, deal was rejected, so fine, we're gonna take some things away from you. Um, you know, my family Metro was AMP, like AMP was acquired by them. My grandma worked there, my uncle worked there his whole life, my mom worked there, my sister worked there. So I have a lot of sympathy for the workers. Okay, but how many of the people who were working part-time are working part-time? Uh, no one here probably knows the answer to this, but I would say a number of those people are working part-time because they want to work part-time. 
Well, you know, it's a vicious circle, Jerry. Um, uh, people people say, oh, great, now, uh, you know, my hours can be this much at this uh, store so that I can I can also uh, uh, tend bar for a few nights a week. And then I, uh, I've got this other job uh, and I can just about eke out rent. But if people are making living wages and you have more full-time workers, you have a better quality of business and, and that person ends up having a better quality of life. But people get into the vicious cycle of, oh, I, this I can't get enough hours here, so I need an extra job. And the next thing you know, you're saying to both of those uh, uh, two stores, oh, wait, no, I can't work that day because I have this other job. And, and that allows management to say, Oh, we're just accommodating their need to work somewhere else. It, it really isn't the way we're, we're going to have people able to pay their rent and buy their own food. I always think that what will happen to me if I end up losing this job is I'll be that guy at Walmart. You want a cart? The thing is, I'll be able to say it clearly and loudly enough that everyone will know what I said. So you think you'll be the friendly greeter inside Walmart if this goes sideways? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bold transition, Jerry. I didn't say I'd be the friendly. You want a cart? Get a cart. Get a cart because you'll just, you, you can't tote your stuff. Think, people. That's, that'll be me. That's the telling everybody these are the prices, but then they add taxes. Yeah. Doug Ford underspent, this is what we're told, underspent this year to the tune of $7 billion. But Amanda, I don't see a $7 billion surplus. So to me, this was, uh, I don't call it underspending. I call it maybe living within our means. Yeah, I mean, and I think the particular um, public official that made this report a couple months ago said he overspent and then they were underspending. So I mean, I kind of take these things like they're important, but I take them with a bit of a grain of salt. I think the important document is usually the budget, which is annual and also estimates, which are annual. But yeah, I mean, I this is the like we can call the conservative government and absolutely have some conservative principles, but it's the largest spending government in Ontario history. So to me, underspending probably to you is, is a bit of good news. Well, and it doesn't match their behavior over the last few years with budgets where they've estimated costs and then come in under that and then had a little extra and then spread it around. So, I mean, the, the numbers keep moving. I, I'm, I'm with Amanda. Like, yeah, okay, it's important. It's a thing. But it doesn't mean that, you know, Doug Ford has $7 billion in like a Scrooge McDuck-like vault that he goes swimming in rather than spending it on health care. Would you like to do that, though? No, because it's not liquid. You'd really get hurt jumping into that. <laughs> All right. Uh, but Shelley Carroll, earlier your city councillor, and earlier I was talking to Robert Benzie, who reports for the Star on Queen's Park, and we were talking about this. And, and as Amanda alluded to, you know, well, oh, they're not spending enough. Oh, they're spending too much. Oh, they've got all this money. No, they don't have this money. And, you know, as a citizen and a taxpayer, I look at this and I think this is just politicians having fun with numbers. Well, you know, the, the Financial Accountability Office is, is, is supposed to look at it quarter by quarter. And, uh, and, and, and so you often find um, there's a seasonal shift to spending also. And so, so their, their opinions do tend to go up and down. But by the time you get to the end of the year, um, you, you want to look at underspending to see, is it, is it level? Is it trending upwards? Is it trending downwards? The key thing here is that it's trending upwards. They're underspending more and more. And and you're right. At the end of the year, when they when they announce their next budget, they'll say their surplus was quite a bit smaller than this seven billion. Because when you have this this underspent money, what you do is in one of those quarters, you're going to roll it into debt reduction. And everybody loves hearing that there's been debt reduction. And so they'll, they'll, they'll at the end of the year, tell us a significantly smaller surplus. But the question is, is now a good time to be doing debt reduction? 
the biggest area of underspending here is in health and the health system is really struggling right now. Um, you know, hospitals have been asked to uh, to do uh, um, uh, make up a wage differential and and pay nurses all sorts of back pay because we're having trouble getting nurses to come in and be there in the operating room. And yet, the province is not sending the funds to the hospitals to pay for that surplus pay that's being paid out right now. So the relationship between the province and hospitals is pretty fraught right now. And so. Do you want to keep that surplus and just roll it all into debt reduction? Or do you want to make hospitals whole so that we'll all get our surgeries? You know, I, I, I would flatter. I got a text message here that jumps back a little bit on the Metro story, but I thought I would just uh, run it past the three of you. You know, you walk up to a person with your TV camera and you say, um, should the wages go up for the people working at Metro? And they'll say, yeah, by God, they should go up. How about if you phrased it this way, Robert? Do you want to pay more for your groceries? Well, I'm against that. Okay. Uh, and everyone, well, but that's the problem, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to pay bargain basement prices and everyone wants everyone to make really high union wages. That doesn't always, the, the equation's a little trickier to, to arrive at. But I think a lot of Canadians are looking at the price of groceries and the profits some of the grocery companies are posting and the fact that we had bread price fixing and just wondering perhaps if something could, something else could be done to rein in the prices a little bit. Yeah. Um, the question is not, should a part-time worker be making just $16.55 a dollar above minimum wage to, to make a good store? The question is, should owners, like, a, you know, it's a different chain, but should Galen Weston make $8 million a year? Does he, can he spend $8 million a year? That's how much he made. And, and it, you know, the profits went up in those stores. So that inflation wasn't caused by a surging labor cost. It's just going into profits and off to okay. the CEO. Okay, yeah, you've got the bread fixing thing, which takes all sympathy away from the grocery stores. Uh, I'll go along with that. But you could take Galen Weston's $8 million and spread it across all of the people who work within that giant organization. It wouldn't make any difference in their lives. But I appreciate very much the three of you. Thanks a lot. This is News Talk 1010.